This episode is brought to you by our friends at Squiz. Squiz is a student experience platform that offers a full suite of solutions developed exclusively for higher education. Squiz has so many exceptional products that are worth checking out, but the two that I've been most impressed by are their custom site search product, Funnelback, and their website platform, which is a true DXP. And don't worry, I'll explain what that means in just a second. For the next wave of digital natives, search is not ancillary to navigation. Search is navigation. And Funnelback enables schools like yours to build custom smart site search. So that way your nursing program actually comes up when someone searches nursing instead of that one nursing faculty event registration page from like two years ago. And their DXP, it's so much more than a traditional website CMS. A CMS is meant for exactly what it claims to be, content management. It's an important part of your marketing tech stack and important part of the student life cycle. But that's just it. It's just a part. A DXP, a digital experience platform, is built to be the hub of your MarTech stack. It relies on powerful integrations, data management, and an open platform in order to create the kind of experiences simply not possible with a normal CMS. Say goodbye to the finicky plugins of WordPress and the crappy site architecture of Drupal that hurts your SEO and get ready to meet the fastest, most powerful, and most personalized website platform for colleges and universities on the market. Today, the student experience begins online, not at school. And as an enrollment marketer, your job is to ensure that prospective students find what they are looking for as quickly and as easily as possible. Squiz is the secret friction reducers that schools across the globe are using to not just attract the next generation of students, but nurture them to the point of enrollment in a way that is conducive and not counter to how they consume information and make purchasing decisions. You can learn more about Squiz at enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. Welcome to Fanatical Fridays, a weekly podcast where I sit down with Mickey Baines, a principal at Kennedy & Company, which is a higher education consulting firm, to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. I'm Zach Buzicruz, founder here at Enrollify. Enjoy the show. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Um, so I know that we told folks that we would be uh, hit and record as soon as the Zoom meeting started. So we are doing so. But um, you are catching me at a uh, little bit of an unfortunate uh, moment. I just found out we just <laughs> we just launched this uh, this new little podcast series with uh, Mongoose. And uh, as I hit uh, let Mickey into the Zoom room. I started getting all these DMs saying that the the link that that we shared is broken. So uh, it's taking everyone to a beautiful uh, 404 page. Um, so you know oh. that's that sucks. But uh, you know uh, uh, I, I guess worse things have happened or, or could happen today. But don't you just love that when you like you spend so much time and effort putting something together and then you launch it and then the link is broken or the content just doesn't exist. We, you know what? I can say we just had it happen ourselves. How about that? Does that make you feel any better? It does. It does, Mickey. Uh, thank you. Uh, we were promoting a webinar, and the thank you page was broken. Oh, and so, folks, um, um, and and it was published on a discussion board, 
email-based discussion board. So old school, what do you, it's not even a board. What do you call it? A discussion list? I don't, I don't like know. Like a forum or something? Listserv. Yeah. A listserv. A listserv. Okay. Yeah. There's a term. Have you ever used that term, Zach? <laughs> I, no, I am familiar with the term, but I have not used it. My uh, 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 senior leaders over here uh, uh, use it quite frequently, though. You mean um, you mean the the old people you work with? <laughs> older, <laughs> older. Uh, yes. Yeah, so the listserv that it was uh, shared with, you know, they're doing it, and so um, got an email from someone, which was to us, but copied to the listserv, of course. Um, said, "Hey, um, this is broken. Uh, I can't register." Uh-huh. And uh, I went and looked, and like, well, it, she. This person did register. I, I see the name. It's on the. It's on our uh, list of form submitters inside the CRM. And so I went to, to look and and did a test. And by the way, this is this is the this is the use case on why you test your work. Uh, and I submitted a test, and it um, went to a broken landing page. Huh. So I went to correct it. Now it's ninety seconds of time done uh i didn't have time to build out a thank you page so i just put an inline thank you message right where the form was so the form disappears page stayed the same um and it worked all was fine except i wasn't the staff person who promoted it on the listserv one of my colleagues did i don't have permission to post to the listserv (laughs) so i couldn't reply to the entire group to say it's fixed i had to wait my step the server had the permission was traveling had to wait till she was off the road oh, uh, so that she could, you know, get back to, to the group and make sure everyone knows that this is correct. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I was actually thinking about you, Mickey, because when I was taken to my error 404 page, I was thinking, you know, why aren't error 404 pages like better? And like, what, how could we make them like fun and interesting and dynamic? And I immediately thought about you because of your out of office replies and how every time you go out of the office, you have some, something creative or quippy to say, it's like, we should just, (laughs) we should just do that uh, with 404 pages. Like I'm even thinking of just something like, wow, like this is super embarrassing. We have totally screwed up. You're not actually supposed to be here, but now that you are like, you know, let's tell you a story or something like that. Like, Um, oh, that's even better. That's even better. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, isn't there like a, an embarrassed emoji face? Yeah, like, yeah. Or something like it should be that face. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I could see a humorous kind of comment. Yeah. You know, to give it a flair and some tone. Um, you know, sorry, we, you know, that we, you found. I don't know. Sorry, you found the back end. I don't know whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You're, or, um, or it's like you've caught us, you've caught us naked, or something like ridiculous. Yes, and yes, like, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, you, you've gone where no one else uh, has been before, or no one else should ever. Okay, go. <laughs> I want to see a college president react to that draft of that F404. Oh, page. gosh, yeah, no, anyways, but, yeah, I like that though. But while we have you, <laughs> but while we have you, here's a story, yeah, check this out. You know what would be really yeah. interesting, yeah, if like. And that page ended up getting like enough time on page, time spent on page for there to be like some traction uh, that that page uh, starts building, even from like, yes. <laughs> hopefully not from an SEO standpoint, but like I could see a world in which people are so like enamored by that story that they end up sharing the for- the error 404 page and that ends up, you know, having a little bit of virality. Um, anyways. Yeah. 
Maybe I wonder if you could, tr- you know, if you could try an A B trickery test, you know, Ooh. a real thank you page, and then a B four hundred four page. That's really a thank you page with four hundred four as disguised, and you have additional content on there to see um, how people respond. Now, you, you know, you this is a risk because you're giving someone what they anticipate or, or perceive rather to be a bad experience. Something's not working. Yeah. But you can also see, do they actually click on any other material on that 404 page? I mean, do you even have the ability? I don't know this answer. I'm not a web person. Yeah. Do you have the ability to customize your 404 page? I assume you, you do. You do. You do. Yep. Yep. There you go. Yep. So well, the fact, so, so, all right, let's just pause right here and say, look, you don't have to love our idea here. And I don't mean the trickery part, just it doesn't have to, the fun, real marketing content on the page. But the fact that you can customize a 404 page and the fact that we're still talking and calling it a 404 page means people put up 404. And how, how many people don't know what the hell a 404 is? Yeah. Other exactly. than it's, it's an error page. Yeah. Yeah. So that in itself tells you that we've not built that experience out from a, you know, I know it's hopefully a rare scenario. But you and I independently just shared that it just happened to us. Yours happened, I guess, right now. Mine happened Friday. So huh. we're talking within a week. Yeah. Two different people. You know what happens to other people. Yeah. It's happening regularly enough then to say, isn't it worthwhile to put 30 minutes into putting out a nicer 404 page? Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, to to your point, Mickey, like, um, even if you don't want to be quippy with it, uh, I think one of the things that you could do is like for, for my team, what's always hard when these things happen is trying to figure out like where the broken link actually is, right? Cause typically it's like the actual page isn't necessarily broken all the time. It's that there's some CTA, there's some button somewhere that's linking to the wrong thing. Um, but it's, you know, more often than not an important button. And so sometimes when we have like, when we have like a one content piece that's being promoted, like in you know, 20 different ways on 20 different pages sometimes. And and if those links, which oftentimes they are, are all unique buttons or unique links, sometimes that's the issue. And it's, it's actually really hard to go find like the source of the issue. Like, was it a bad link in an email CTA? Was it a bad link on a landing page CTA? Was it a bad link on like, you know, the hero banner in the homepage? Like where, where is the bad link? And I even think like for folks, uh, I think when users hit the Air 404 page, if you don't want to be quippy, maybe you could do something like, hey, you're not supposed to be here. We're sorry for disrupting your experience. Mind answering one quick question for us so we can help sort of trace the source of this issue? Uh, like we, We've had people yeah. like send us an email saying, hey, by the way, this thing is broken. And thank God they yep. did. Otherwise, we would have never known, right? But And to your point, your story, that, that happened to you. You would have never known. And I think that like... Finding quick little easy ways for people to give some feedback uh, would be super, super helpful. And I think people would do it if it, if it was easy enough. At least some percentage of people would do it. And let me just say this. like, How about you have a no form submit button? So it's not a form, but it's the form submit button. Yeah. This is, yeah. uh-oh, you've gotten where you should be. Click here to tell us. Yeah. And all it does is alert. Now, it, with if you have certain CRM and form building capabilities, you don't have to have any other things, and you and the system will know who submitted it. And so, therefore, like in our system, I could okay look and see okay, this is Zach that submitted this. I could set it up that way, and then I could actually see where Zach was and track it down specifically. Not every CRM can do that, um, and so you might have some digging around to do, um, or you know you could say you know um, one line in the form that says what 
what was the last page you visited before getting here? Yeah, yeah. And let them fill that out and hit submit. That way they don't have to feel like they're they're submitting a, a form that's going to, you know, trigger off some large marketing and sales effort. Um, it's just, a, hey, you know, raise a flag, raise a flag, let us know that you, you landed here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, hey, I think hopefully this hack was uh, a little bit interesting to some folks. Um, I, I actually do we think... We talk about things like this every week and we've never recorded it. <laughs> I know. I, all the guys, value, <laughs> all of the listeners have been missing out on. For, we've been doing this for uh, over a year. All the good stuff, how, yeah. All the good yeah. stuff happens before we hit record. <laughs> Not all the good stuff. Some but of the good stuff. there is good stuff yeah. that happens before we record. Yeah. All right. What do we want to talk about today? We're talking about content, right? In the spirit yeah, we're, of... We're talk- yep. We want to continue kind of what we were talking about last week. Um, there, there's a theme to it, and last week I think we, you know, we got in talking a little bit about the future of things, and um, and I think there's some steps that have to be viewed before we finalize the picture of the future to start thinking about how we bridge ourselves toward the future. Future yeah. meaning several years out, five years out, ten years out, um, um, and and I think in order to get there, because we were talking about enhancing that, not just the digital experience, but the virtual experience. Yep. We were talking and about too. We, we were talking about that. We we're talking about sort of yeah, just just the need to rethink how we create content, how we produce content, who should be creating and producing content. Um, we're talking a lot a lot about sort of the fact that the way that we think about the assets, the processes, the standards for what marketing and communications. Uh, and really sort of like the admissions process looks like today, how will that continue to evolve? Uh, and how might that evolve rather quickly over these next couple of years? And one of the things that you're getting, uh, you started talking about Mickey right at the end was about really sort of like how to create content that makes sense in the future and like what that content will uh, actually look like, what it will feel like, how it will be produced, et cetera. Yes. And, you know, and we, I know we talked last week a lot about how we quickly pivoted uh, in the pandemic to create this virtual experience, um, how that's not necessarily going away. We'll keep that. Now we'll go back to doing the physical experience that we provide with students, but the virtual piece will um, still be there. Uh, and, I, and as we think about that and how, you know, how does that transpire? So we created some things, we took existing content, just applied it in the same way. But then I think one of the next steps is to look at what you already have in place and ensure that it's written for the virtual experience. Mm. And that whether that means you start with brand new uh, versions of that content, if it's moderate shifts in that content, ideally you're doing it in a dynamic way so that you know, here's a message that goes out if it's for a virtual experience, you get version A. If it's for the physical experience or quote unquote traditional experience, it's version B. So hopefully you're starting to, to incorporate that with dynamic content. But then you have to start thinking about what additional content. And this might be more unique for the virtual experience person. Someone who's physically been to campus, that conversation starts to change. Someone who's visited physically with you face-to-face through a fair or some other way, that recruitment process changes and it branches off a bit. But the virtual experience needs to have a virtual recruitment plan. Hmm. And And that recruitment plan is nurturing and recruitment, and you have to rethink content for that. 
So go ahead. I was just going to ask. So do you think um, when you when you when you talk specifically about virtual recruitment plan, are you thinking like there needs to be a separate pathway, uh, basically like a separate journey that you take folks on? Um, but the format is the same, meaning like everyone, no matter how they interact with your institution for the first time, no matter where they're at in sort of the enrollment journey, they need communications, right? They need emails, they need texts, they need phone calls. But are, are you saying that like people that are sourced virtually or people that are still sort of in like the, hey, I'm checking you out, but I'm not you know, ready to even commit to a campus visit, they, they still need to be communicated just as the folks that are actually visiting campus need to be communicated with, but like the type of the the tone in the, of those communications need to be pretty different or dramatic? Or are you saying like the tone and like the format of those communications need to be different? Both, both. What I'm saying is your enrollment and recruitment plan has a branch to it. So at first, for many of our prospects, whether it's, we don't know that they're virtual, if they're going to do the physical or let me just transition, just call it the, the, the uh, excuse me, the traditional experience. So we don't know if they're going to go traditional route or if they're going to go virtual route. I'm suggesting over time, if you build out the option for the virtual, more and more students will choose that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I'm not saying it'll be everybody, but more and more will choose that. And we'll look at other non-industry specific case studies to talk about this in just a moment. But, but if we honor that and accept that, yes, that's going to happen, then your plan needs to have a branch. It can't be a singular plan because the differences get further and further apart and you need to have your content prepared to communicate that and build the value in a virtual way because you so much value of trust and comfort and feel comes in that traditional experience. Yeah, yeah. We have to acknowledge that that doesn't happen in a virtual way. So how do you replace that? Or how do you how do you replace it with a different? Are they is a, someone who comes through the virtual experience? Are they basing it on the feel and the trust and the comfort and the fit? Do they, or are they basing it on something else? Whichever the answers are, it still has to be customized for the virtual experience. And so there's a branch, and you need to build that out. And once you build that out, that will help you understand what types of content you might need and how to engage that. You know, over the course of the pandemic and carried into right now. Um, not just because of pandemic, just because of the world we're in. I think about this and I, and let me just pause and caveat or, or, or put a caveat here. I am not suggesting in any way that the higher ed enrollment process for our students is similar to this, what I'm about to say. Yeah. I'm just want to talk about how this experience for this industry has changed first and then we'll circle back to higher ed. But let's talk about the car buying experience. Yep. Um, if I had been the web sales manager at a car dealership, knowing that the quote unquote web sales manager was really the only web sales person that a dealership had um, back in 2019, I would have made a killing since then, right? Because no one else was selling online. I'm the <laughs> only one that's really been doing selling online. Yeah. And guess what's happened? Not only did the pandemic force it to go online, now the Dealerships only have cars a lot, so there's not even a reason to go to the dealership. Yeah, yeah. Everything's done online. Yeah, right. Yeah. I haven't bought a car or leased a car through a traditional sales process. I don't know in the past seven years. 
That's I mean you, you are an early adopter texting. for sure. Are you are you using yeah, I, like are you using like Carvana or like what what are what are you using? No, no, I buy from regular dealerships, but I start with a form to find out who the salesperson will be and yeah. I text. Yeah, 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 yeah. I come to yeah, look at the same. car physically yeah. outside of sales hours. I don't talk to people. I don't negotiate price and I tell them that via text up front. This is the car I'm interested in. I need to know the price. I do not negotiate. If it's not the price I think is right, and I will have done research, then I go to another dealership of that same manufacturer or look at a different model car. And I'll say that. And when they give an answer, my reply back is either yes or no. If it's no, I will specifically tell them, sorry, that's not going to work for me. Um, you know, don't try to reply. And I block them. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Then I move on. Right. And so, and now today it's, it's, you know, I did this last one, have a phone call with someone, but all I did was a phone call to say, here's my information because I couldn't give them the deposit over uh, through online. You had to call for deposit Her, uh, friction in the process way they can improve, you know, but I called to say, here's my deposit. This, well, this vehicle is actually on your lot, right? Yes. Here's my deposit. I will be here on Wednesday to pick it up um, with uh, a check knowing that I had financing. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. But that's it. I didn't need them for any of that. Any of it. What's it's completely virtual. That's now imagine this in a world in emissions where someone doesn't need the admission counselor. What do I need to provide someone who doesn't need an admission counselor to apply and enroll in the past? We didn't have to worry about that, but we have to start thinking about it now because other people are thinking about it. There are full online institutions now that have figured out how to provide the virtual recruitment process. Now students and families are aware that there's a virtual path because pandemic forces to have one. And they're going to start finding those who have virtual paths for recruitment and enrollment. So you need one. If you are going to have that, then what is that required? And this is where I think let's talk about content. Yeah, what the one, one quick thing. I'm going to suggest the content has to increase dramatically. Yeah, yeah. Because if we are building, because I do believe that this requires some trust building exercise, some trust building process virtually. So therefore, we've been building trust, some with our content, but primarily with humans. Yeah. Direct. Now we're going to be doing that with less humans. So we need more content to build that. And when I say dramatically more or significantly more content, it's not, it's not just creating content for content's sake. I'm suggesting the content is not designed to build trust in a virtual way. So we need to have that extra content. Yeah, yeah. And we need to think about how our content builds trust in the media, or let's just say the medium through which we provide that content. How do we build the trust through an email? How do we build the trust through a text? How do we build the trust through our website? Yeah, and I think I think what's so interesting about this question is oftentimes, I guess historically, right? Like when you think about content um, and you think about sort of how schools marketed themselves, it was really more about getting people to click something so that they could as quickly as humanly possible 
speak to a human, right, and interact with the human. Enrollment teams were really focused, right, on like, as soon as Zach uh, submits this form, like, let's give him a call, right? The the whole idea of like speed to lead. Um, and, and while I think while there are aspects and there are ways to do that, and some schools should continue to do that, um, I think what you're getting at, which I think is especially interesting is like, in a virtual world, in a world where many students are going to self-service their way to enrollment like they would self-servicing their way to buying a car, you've got to find other steps, other ways to help move them along um, without, right, talking to, you know, Mickey, the admissions counselor, right, or or Zach, you know, the um, the director of admissions, whatever it might be, you've got to find ways to increase trust so that progress towards enrollment can be made without the human. And I think that that is like the hardest thing about what we're talking about is schools are really, really good at getting people to click on something and then talk to a human, right? What's really, really, really hard is how does that nurturing process happen you know, asynchronously, like how does that nurturing process happen automatically? And I think what you're getting at, Mickey, which is so important is like, it has to be founded in trust. It's gotta be an experience, right? Where people feel, prospective students feel actual value. And I think that the only way to do that is with an incredible amount of like thought and intentionality and work, quite frankly. What do you think about that? Oh, oh, I agree. I'm going to pivot back to the, the, the car experience because what, and this is only to emphasize the change, what was and what is. So in the past, if you were buying from a dealership, likely local to you within some relative bit of locality, you know, 20 minutes, five minutes, an hour, somewhat local to you and trust what that dealership mattered because that's a lot of where you'll spend your time um, with getting the car serviced, warranty repairs, those types of things. But with Carvana, with all the other online, my experience when I purchased, I purchased uh, at a place that was two and a half hours for me. Yeah. Um, because they happen to have what I needed in stock. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to have service there. I know that. They know that. Their model, though, was not set up to, to accommodate that. Their model was like, oh, we want to build trust. We want to build trust. We want to build trust. I don't need trust. My trust is with the brand, not the dealership at this point. Mm, interesting. Because yeah. the dealership's not going to do anything else for me. Now, again, I'm not saying that's what's happening in higher ed. I'm just pointing out the difference of what they're talking about and what it actually, what they were talking about and what is actually on the ground now. When, and I, I have, have friends in this, in this business, in the car dealership business, of how, the number of people that are buying and coming from very far away, states, not a state away, states away. Mm. Um, states, from, I'm talking people coming from the Dakotas to Pennsylvania to get a car and vice versa, to pick up a vehicle. So what then is your value proposition? Right now, you don't have to push too much because there's no cars and everybody's just looking for an actual car, so they're coming to you. But in that scenario, if you're trying to market and sell that far away, 
what is it if if the value of your being the local dealership is no longer there? There needs to be a place to pivot. Now let's talk about higher ed. It's about what was and what is. Yes, the traditional path is still there, but now if we're building out this virtual path, if we think it's going to grow, then we want to prepare and encourage it to grow. Let it grow. So we had to start thinking about what is and what will be and acknowledging that it is different and building that trust. And I think one of the key ways that you're going to build trust, yes, you will not have face-to-face live interaction physically with someone, but you let when and how do we best have live interaction, video interaction, live interaction that's based in video. Those are three different things. Yeah. Yeah. Because live interaction can be chat. We talked, I think, a little bit about this last week. Live interaction can be a video uh, session, one-to-one, video session, one-to-many. It can be personalized, pre-recorded video. It could be a recorded campus tour. All of these ways you know, are various things that have to be thought about for as you build out and map out your content. Yeah. When's the right? It's not just having the additional content. It's about knowing when the right time. It's also more thought about let's scrap the funnel because now it's a journey. We've got all this extra content. When do we engage? How do we engage? And look at various conversion points along the journey. Make it prospect-based, not department-based process. Yeah, this is this is super super interesting. Uh, going back quickly, I'm just uh, thinking uh, off the cuff here, but going back quickly to sort of the car dealership uh, model that we've been uh, riffing on here. So I also have a friend who works in uh, in cars and and car sales, and he was talking to me. This must have been like a couple years ago now about the fact that you know one of the reasons why when you go to a dealership today or you you uh, research a car online, et cetera, and you request a price, most dealerships today like they're not really making their money on like the car anymore. They're making their money on all the upsells, right, or the warranties that they sell you at the last minute, et cetera. And a big reason for that is because the user, right? We, the consumer, are empowered with tools like the internet where we can do that research that you're talking about. Like before the internet, right? There was no way to really know like whether the Toyota that you were buying here or the Toyota that you were buying at the dealership down the street was like a better deal. But now, right, you've got Kelly Blue Book. You've got uh, an, an incredible number of online resources to help you understand at a very granular level what the car is actually worth, right? And I wonder, like, translating that again, this is this is super, super rough. But like, to your point of like, how do you sort of build you have trust in like the car brand, your trust doesn't necessarily need to be in the dealership to figure out like, what you want to buy and and how you want to buy it. Um, But I wonder, like, translating this, this is maybe a little bit, uh, you know, crude here, but translating this to higher ed, like, I wonder if you'll end up seeing some schools adopt a model where 
the brand that you know a student is buying maybe it's the college but maybe it's also like a program like studying in a particular field like if i'm studying engineering right i'm buying into this idea that yeah i could go study engineering at a number of schools but if i study engineering i, I will probably graduate and with the ability to get a good job somewhere right like will it be uh in silicon valley maybe not but like if, if i'm going to a small sort of like more rural school um maybe i don't have the opportunity to do, to do something like that but i'll probably end up being okay because I studied a, a craft, a trade that's highly, highly valuable. So I wonder if if we'll, we'll see these models shift where uh, schools will be way more focused on, you know, touting uh, what uh, warranties and add-ons they have uh, to help sort of support the student as they purchase, right, the, the their core product, which is a particular program or major. Again, this is really, really, uh, this analogy might totally fall flat, but I guess what I'm getting at is like, students today are empowered with more information than they've ever had before, and they're able to compare things and evaluate things way more easily today, and really like even more objectively today than we were able to do even five and 10 years ago. Like there is just way more information out there. And I do think that that will have a bearing, a significant bearing on the kind of content, and the thing, I think this is what you're getting at, that schools have to create to either combat some of that information, right, even if it's accurate, and or figure out, okay, how do we take the fact that everyone now knows or, or students can easily access uh, the average cost of tuition at our actual school and, you know, the way that our brand is perceived in the public sphere looks like this. It's okay. It's not the best. How do we take those two realities and not hide them because we can't, but figure out a way to, and you know, not even necessarily spin it, but really, really lean into our reality and find ways to connect with the students that do want a reality like we are able to offer, that do want an experience like that of which we are able to offer. Because the reality is we can't sort of hide behind any sort of uh, um, uh, flashy sort of, you, you can't rely on sort of traditional tactics of being able to kind of spin a narrative of a no, 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 like this this is the kind of experience you can have here. This is what dorms are like here. This is what our faculty to you know student uh, uh, ratio and relationships really look like because students can go and they can go do all of their own research to validate whether or not what you're saying is actually true. Um, anyways, sorry. I guess I guess what I'm ultimately getting at is I 100% agree with you, Mickey, that schools need to start investing seriously in figuring out how to build content that builds trust and not just builds trust, but builds deeper trust over time as students consider enrolling at your institution. Yes, virtually. The, and I, I think that is incredibly key. And, you know, starting with the, with the onset and here, this actually might be a, a place to start as you think about this. You know, we just had a period of time where students did this virtually, enrolled, and chose to enroll with you in a virtual way. Why did they choose you this time? How might that differ in how students in the past have chosen you? What were the key moments that someone, what are the key experiences someone had with you last year that said, this is the right fit for me if they weren't physically on your campus? So, I, and I, th again, so I, I think that's a great opportunity 
to start to begin to understand what, where are the nuggets of gold? If you can, you know, find that out from the students that just enrolled, what did work well? How do you improve upon that? Where did those experiences fall in the cycle? And how do you then replace it? One of the areas that you may find is that many or a larger portion than you expect, or maybe the right amount that you expect, students did get a, ver a physical experience with you because they toured as a sophomore or junior before the pandemic started and therefore got to have that physical presence and felt comfortable. If that's the case, then that means the juniors of this past year did not, who are now seniors, and that will change for them. Do you find some other opportunity to get them to campus to replace that opportunity? Or is it more important in the existing opportunities when you normally would have a senior on campus to ensure that they all come as part of your, um, once you've got them accepted, you know, as an acceptance day to come meet us that maybe you've not done in the past, or maybe you focus on more now because a lot of those people who've been accepted have not been to campus. You might find that. Those are some of the things that you have to, I think, start thinking about. But then once you find the virtual piece, what did work? How do you build upon that? Where does that fall in the recruitment journey for someone, the enrollment journey for them? And then what are other pieces that you begin to plug in that, A, ensure that, that, that what type of content do you plug in that helps emphasize and ensure that that other experience piece that was critical that they have that get to have that same experience. So if it was some type of virtual event, great. Then you need to be sure that you're getting everybody to that virtual event. And then what other pieces do you add in to supplement that? Yeah. But that needs to be there. And then it can't just be the same old, same old medium. You can't just stick with email or text. You've got to form, format this differently. And if it is text, by the way, obviously text is not a long message. Obviously, text should be including links, but maybe links include video, link to video, not just link to other text. Yeah. 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 And I think, yeah, I think at the end of the day, the problem is, and we've talked about this uh, many, many times, the journey to enrollment is just really not linear anymore. Like folks have so many different ways to think about college, to research their opportunities for higher education even even sort of like deadlines like I, I don't know if it, this is probably less true in higher ed still but I, I do think like a day is coming when people sort of aren't motivated by like last minute sales like you know last minute deals in the same way that they were a while back I, I feel like we're, we're just inundated with so many messages and communications about like deadlines and last minute opportunities to do this and it, it almost feels like uh well there there will be another one like there there's another opportunity to do something like that or like yeah like all oh, at the end of the day they're still gonna like when i think about like webinar webinar registrations and how it's always like last chance to last chance to register like i know that they're gonna send an email right when the webinar starts that lets me just join in to the zoom link so i don't actually need to register like nine out of, nine times out of ten the webinars that like i am that, that are marketed to me end up still sending me like that last minute email saying, here's the link to join. Uh, and so it's like, why, or, why would I register if I know you're going to send or, that out? Or, so I, I think, I think you'll still have some people. You yeah. won't have everyone. 
And it's kind of like how when you think of advertising and how everybody used to come into you and now you got to go out to them and how all that shifts for the past 15 years, same kind of concept. People will, it's just fewer of them. Yeah. And that needs to be incorporated. If you're using like a persona model, you have to incorporate that last minute. Larry is one of your personas, <laughs> right? Um, it might be, but then it's also finding other. So in, in that scenario, then what else, because not everybody's responding that way or fewer people are responding that way. What do you do in, in, in lieu of that? One of the things I've always done is is to have, and I don't like to promote it this way necessarily, but to have exclusive groups and opportunities. I don't want. I don't always like to say this is exclusive to yeah, yeah, some, yeah. some brands and some industries that works. I I don't love it um, because then in an inclusive world, it's not being inclusive. But when you have something that's special for a special group, you know that is a way to incentivize people. What are the various reasons? And, you know, I, I, this is a workshop I have with schools a lot. And, and as you think about how you're promoting something or trying to get a student to take a specific action, you know, what is the value to them for taking the action and not the value to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's because yeah. when you send that email or that note about checking in and following up and touching base, all those things – that's what you've said when you use those terms is I need to know for me, I don't give a damn about you. I want to be sure, you know, I want you to sign up for this. Yeah. That's what that's saying. We got to change that. This is, you know, this is why this is important for you. This is what you're going to learn from this or gain from this. This is what will help you make your decision. Yeah. And, I, and I, then we have to think about why is making the decision for that event right now important? Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it, it's basically, you know, handling a, a bunch of objections up front. But I also think what, what you're getting at, which I think is really, really important, is it's not enough to just like handle objections and like talk about sort of the value that this is going to deliver you and not just, you know, the sender. Um, but it's also about like figuring out how to do that in a really creative, different way. Like everyone knows, right, when you get an email about a, a, a webinar or about an information session, if you're a prospective student, like, it's going to say, here's where you're going to learn, you're going to get to, you know, hear from students and hear from faculty members and hear from a couple staff members about like what their experience at University X is really like. And I, I do like that, while that is true, like, that's not a very sort of compelling reason for me to like, click that CTA and sign up for your event. Instead, it's, I think it's a little bit more about like getting super creative, like, hear a story about, you know, um, the biggest mistake I made during my freshman year of college, or uh, here's, you know, uh, hear, hear a story about how I helped a student go from uh, average, you know, a, a C minus average to an A plus or something like that. Like, find a way to say the same thing about you're going to hear from faculty, staff and students, but talk, frame it within the context of like, you're going to get like really good, interesting, kind of like juicy, fascinating uh, stories that are going to communicate the same ideas. And these, those sorts of things, like you don't need more money, right? To be able to like write a better email that goes into a little bit more detail about the kind of stories that are going to be shared. Like you have to write the email anyways. It's really just about thinking, okay, how could I market this in a way that is going to compel more people to be interested in what's on the other side of this form or what's on the other side of, you know, the the, the Zoom call, whatever it might be. And I feel like that is just a, such a simple thing that literally anyone can do is find a way to communicate the same idea, but in a 
way that's 10 times more creative or 10 times more interesting or 10 times more, you know, uh, entertaining. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've got to get through the muck. Yeah. Um, and you can look at your, you know, you mentioned engineering earlier, look at your engineering program page and look at five other aspirational institutions, engineering pages to see how similar they really are. What helps you stand up, stand out? You know, if those are aspirational institutions you compare yourself against, you know, what do you need to be doing differently and show them differently to show that you are equal or better than they are? You know, yeah. How are they all the same? And then if you're trying to do this in a virtual way, knowing that, again, having them all the same is not great, but you can work around that if you can somehow lure them to campus and give them that experience that shows them all the cool special stuff. But you don't do that in a virtual space. So you've got to replace that. And replacing that means that page has to be different. Yeah. So yeah. it is that like those all of those things has to change because we and I don't think we're giving ourselves enough credit for the value we provide when we get them to campus. Yeah. Yeah. A I mean huge bit of value. You've yeah. got to shift and you and you can't give virtually, you can't give all of that value in one virtual experience. It's got to be built over time. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Mickey? I feel like we're entering a season where I, I remember talking to schools like uh, just a few years ago, and you, you, I'm sure, did the same thing. It was like, hey, you've got to be on social media. You've got to be on Facebook. You've got to be on Twitter. You've got to, you know, have a presence on Instagram. You've got to, you know, uh, you've got to be on Snapchat, whatever it might be. We're now like entering into a, a an era where it's like, you've got to be noticeable on Facebook or you've got to be different on Snapchat. Uh, you've got to stand out on Instagram. It's like, it used to be just a bunch of encouragement for people to like get into sort of the the spheres where students were interacting with each other and where, where really just where attention was. And now it's like, no, 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 no. Like if you're not there, like you, you don't exist. But like, you're at least there, but it's not even, it's not, it's no longer enough to be there and it's no longer enough to be there and doing what other people are doing. You've got to be there and you've got to be different. And I think that that's, that's just the reality of, of sort of like the trajectory of where things are going. Everyone's in the market for uh, attention. And at the end of the day, you know, attention is typically captured by things that are you know, educational things that are, you know, entertaining things that are things that are interesting. And so that should guide the way in which we think about every uh, marketing uh, piece of collateral and every email that we send as a part of the admissions process. It's, it's no longer about just sending the email, it's about making sure that that email has a, a super compelling, interesting subject line that gets opened and then interacted with. Correct. Uh, I, I think I think we've we've hit this for the week. Um, Great. Hopefully, there's some takeaways here. Building out that path for a virtual experience. Finding the components of what you did last year in terms of what what stood out amongst your students who chose or had to go through the virtual experience that stood out to them. If you can find those, how do you take and expand them? How do you then begin to build and spread out that content to allow someone to build their own journey to enroll with you virtually and build the trust that they need to have to build the feel and comfort that they need to have 
that you're providing in a physical traditional path? How do, those are the things you need to answer first. You know, what, 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 is, what is trust in a virtual world? What does it look like? How do we build it? And then that will help you figure out the content. And then you have to look at mapping in the content. Where does this type of content go in someone's decision-making process? Love it. Well, thank you, sir, as always, for, for being here. And thank you to our listeners for listening to us uh, pontificate and ramble. And hopefully there's something uh, of use that you can take away uh, and put into context um, wherever you work. Um, Mickey, thanks as always for being here and excited to chat more next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let, next week, let's keep going a little bit and talk about, well, if we know that we need to create this path, we know we more content. How do we get to this world of more content? Yeah. How do we find the time to do it? Let's, let's focus a little bit on that. Love it. All right. Thank you, sir. Yep. Thank you all for listening. Hey friends, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. If you have an idea for a topic you think we should cover on this show or riff on, please feel free to reach out directly to me at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org, and I will bring it up with Mickey, and we will chat about it on an upcoming episode. So again, that's Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org, and reach out if you have questions, comments, thoughts, ideas for things that we should be talking about. All right, guys, take care, and we'll see you next week.